hey, you're listening to Chew on That. Here's what we're chewing on today. And that's exactly what postcards are, just little blurbs. Not the whole song, just little chirps. Not the whole story, just little bursts of inconsequential information. Like, Dear Marty, the sunsets on the Pacific Ocean are breathtaking. Wish you were here to see them. Lovingly yours, Kitty Lou. <laughs> postcards, just little notes. Except these postcards from heaven, these one-chapter books that are small in size but substantial in content especially the one we're talking about today that has so much content, I had to break it up into more than one message. And in fact, I, I honestly could have broken this up into even more. So I wanna continue talking today about Jude, a postcard for survival. Hey, hi, thank you for joining us for Chew On That. My name is Scott Eastman, I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church in Green Bay. And you're joining us for a podcast where we dig deeper into the most recent sermon from the current sermon series happening at Life Church. And in that case, it's the Postcards from Heaven series and Sean's second message on the book of Jude. Jude. Hey, Jude, Jude, hey, Jude. Mm. Joining me today is my very good friend, Barry Edgman. Say hi, Barry. Yo, bro, what up? It's How's so great it to have you again. Yeah, good like to be here. It's been a while since you were on. Just, I, yeah, it's yeah, it's been a while. You've been busy though. You got a lot of stuff going on. What do you got going on? What's the best thing you got I, going on right now? Right now, well, I'm here with you. Well, that's yeah. a big deal. But the other deal is that uh, my my father seekers thing is going boom in a good way. Yeah, that's awesome. I love yep. that. Yep. And they can find out more information about that by visiting fatherseekers.org, yes? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yep. So it's a great ministry that Barry has launched. And that that's, by the way, you're you are you're one of the guys on there too, so. Oh, yeah, nice. Just letting you know. Yeah, I'm kind of but, a big deal. Yeah, you're a man, listen. People just don't know how big a deal you are that's yet. That's absolutely the truth. They just need to know. Man, I wish they'd get it together. Anyway, we're uh, this is the end of the series, uh, Postcards from Heaven, and it's been thicker than I thought it was going to be. I, as Sean has alluded to, I thought that it was going to be kind of light and fluffy, but it turns out that these short books of the Bible are like super thick with good content. And so I'm excited about this message because I feel like, um, yeah, it just really, it really spoke to me. Like I, I saw it both on video and live and I just thought that it was fantastic both ways. Mm. So anyway, let's, uh, let's stop talking about stuff and let's, uh, let's just jump into what Sean has to say. The Christian community, they'd been infiltrated by these false teachers, this group of spiritual fugitives or outlaws who had slithered in, who'd crept in unnoticed, who'd come with a message of great appeal and inclusion, which as I said last week, they always do. I started there, Barry, because I wonder, like, from your perspective, who are the false teachers in our world today? Like, what does that look like today? In this world where we live, we we try to, like, I see all the time writers attack other pastors, mm. like that they don't agree with. They don't agree with their theology. There's one group in particular that just hammers everybody that's not like them. Yeah. So the false teacher, I think the scripture says, is one who waters down the gospel or shares it deceptively 
for their own gain, mm. for their benefit, to twist the gospel message and blessing so that they can receive the blessing, the glory, the, the outcome, the money, whatever. Yeah. And I think Jesus said basically this, and this is my interpretation, any, any person who, who preaches the gospel for their own gain is a false teacher. Mm. How do we know what's false? How do we know what, what the gospel is? Well, very simply, the words of Jesus, follow me, do this, be kind, love. Any perversion of those then begins to get into this false teaching idea of leading people astray from the center, the, the Christ-centered gospel message. When Jesus is centered, it's well-defined. When Jesus is centered and he is the topic, when he is the purpose of the discussion, when we are pointing people to Jesus, centered on Jesus, that is the gospel. Now, I hear the word inclusionary to the point that I'm sick of it. Jesus didn't include people. He invited people. He gave them the option to be a part, follow at a distance, but everyone was welcome. He received people. Inclusion means, hey, you come over here and hang out with us, but you can do whatever you want. Like, you're welcome to the party, but the, the real party's here. Jesus invited people to follow, then he received them, and then he led them. So there's a big, there's a big span there about being inclusionary. And I think false teachers want to include everybody regardless of what they believe. So I feel like there's a there's a couple of different things there that for me that come out in what you had to say. When I think of now, when I think of false teachers, I think of like kind of famous false teachers. I think of mm. like like uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, mm. right? That mm. sort of fashioned the gospel in such a way that they gained from it. Now I don't know that they left anything out. I don't know that they misspoke, but they. They left you to feel like if you supported them, you were supporting the kingdom and you were, you know what I mean? And then I guess that would have been fine if they were like, I don't know, like just turning around and spreading the kingdom. But it feels like they were turning around and, and spreading their own wealth. They were spreading their own, their own kingdom. So I feel like, you know, do I have that right? I mean, is that, is that how you see that as well? I mean, or do I have that all wrong? Because then, then that leads me to, you know, Oral Roberts and like God told me that he's going to take me if we don't get a bajillion dollars so we can build a hospital. Or I think about Joel Olstein in today's world that, you know, can kind of flip around everything to say God wants you to have everything you want. And I feel like that's kind of today's false teacher. You know, I think, I think personally, This is a tough one. Yeah. I think personally that people 
mess up. Mm-hmm. And I think they say things sometimes that they wish they didn't say after hearing them later. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think I think there's unintentional statements made or unintentional twistings sure. to, to fund or to do what they need to do. Yep. But I also think that in the Scripture— in, in New Testament times, there were people who actually came in to deceive other people. The people I see today, like the ones that you mentioned, they ask for certain things and they preach certain ways. But I think that most of the time, when people say things, they say it from their experience. Mm-hmm. For sure. And they don't always say those things from a point of understanding by looking at the gospel and exegeting the gospel. Like exegeting means going in and studying history and who the book was written to and why the book was written and the historical perspective and, and who the who the players and actors are. I think that when you get into that realm and you preach from the historical grammatical Textual point, the Judeo-Christian point, then you cut away all this stuff. Mm. I think Sean's Sean's a master at that uh, because of the influences in his life. Uh, one being Rabbi, Rabbi Matt. But back to the point. The point is that I think that we, I think that when we're called by God, we say things to get people to support our game plan. Like some of these people you're talking about. And and I think, I personally don't believe, I don't believe that some of the people you mentioned are intentionally false teachers, Mm. but I think they got twisted up. Mm. I think they got twisted off the mark. I think they missed the mark on some things. I see. Because uh, the fact is that Money is needed to do any any sort of business or whatever. So yeah. the church needs money. Yep. And I think that some of the lavish lifestyles of the people you referred to discredit yeah. their vision. Yeah. When a person's vision is discredited, then they become a false person. I w- I've I've been to Fort Mill. I've seen the I've seen the place. Yeah. It was extravagant, but I also know that when we lean away and we we edge away from Christocentric gospel teaching, preaching, uh, we tend to validate our actions because we're doing God's will, and I think we validate what we're doing, and it, oh, it's okay to drive a Maserati, or it's okay to have gold faucets in your bathroom. Yeah. It, it, it's 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 all right. So, does that create? Does that a false teacher make one? Over time, yeah, yeah, it does. But I think that people who love God are corrected by God. Yeah, false teachers won't accept correction from God. I like that. The other thing you said in your uh, in your open is you mentioned uh, the inclusion factor. I forgot what you called it, but you had talked about how everyone's included. And you said, in fact, not everyone's included. Everyone's invited to be sure. 
And so I wonder, is that like something that happens? That's a process. That's a, you know, that wide is the path and narrow is the gate that we all start off on a wide path. Like we're all caught up in the wide path, but like a funnel, like it starts getting narrow or narrow and certainly people fall off, but certainly things about us fall off. And so if we come in to Jesus's invitation to be part of the party, to be part of the table, to sit at the table, like it's okay that we're there and it's okay that there's other kinds of people there, but that he doesn't want us to stay that way, that we're invited to be sure, but we need to be walking that path where that gets narrower, where, you know, people fall off and the things that we do fall off and we find that, you know, we're completely, you know, in him and that that's, that's the end goal. And so, you know, this inclusionary thing is perfect for the front porch, for the front porch of our churches, the front porch of our faith. Everyone is welcome on the front porch of our faith. Let's talk about it there, man. Let's yeah. talk about it there. So let me clarify what I mean by inclusion. What I, I think there's lots of words in our culture that have been twisted and misused for evil, wicked purposes. One of those is inclusion. One of those is love. Another is Christianity. One is saved. Lots of there's no definition to those words. Yeah, they're used loosely. They're they're widely used. Like, if I don't include you because you're ex, then I'm a bad person. Well, I don't like using that word. You can use it, and sure, I understand what you say. I totally agree with what you just said. But I think another word is more powerful than inclusion. I think another word that's more powerful than inclusion is the word invitation, that I invite you to come alongside me and let's go here. Yeah. Inclusion means you come by yourself and join. Fine. And that's how some come. That's how some join. That's how Life Church downtown campus. Yeah. That's how people come. Hey, man, you're welcome. You're included. However you want to come. Awesome. Great. You've done a great job at defining inclusion there. But most people don't do that job that you do to mm. include, to, to invite. Yeah. So I use the word that's clear. I use the word that if, if I invite you, I've invested in you. And I've said to you, bro, I think you are worthy of what I'm living in. I think that God... God wants you to be part of this. I want to invite you. So now I take stock in you. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm a stakeholder in your eternity. So then I say, I want you to come with me alongside me and see if this thing fits for you. If it does, let's walk together. Jesus invited and then he received them. Now, there's two different things that he invited and he received. Invitation is come along with me. He invite Matthew, come with me. Yeah. He just said, hey, man, you're included. Come on. No, Matthew, come with me. And then Matthew did, and, and he called Matthew to a different place once he accepted the invitation and walked a while. Then he was received, identified, called, and destined for something different. Yeah. No, I get that. I like that a lot. That's really good. 
So in verse 11, 12, and 13, he says, we don't follow these false teachers because of their spiritual emptiness. They, they have beautiful words with no substance. They're like sugar. They're just empty calories. And so Jude says, woe to them with an exclamation point. Like it's definitive. And then the fourth reason we don't follow them is because of their godless deeds. And y'all, he does not mince words when he describes these people. He says they're grumblers. They find fault. They follow after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people just for the sake of gaining an advantage. And I wonder if while writing those words, Jude was thinking of the words of his older brother Jesus who said, a tree is known by its own fruit. That good fruit can't come from a bad tree and bad fruit can't come from a good tree. I love that mark. I love that, uh, that measurement, the control or the scale. Like I, because when it comes right down to it, that's what we need to look at, both in our lives and in the lives of others. And so you can't argue that. You can't argue the logic, Jesus's logic here, that a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So if you look at your life and the fruit, meaning the things that are growing out of your efforts, the things that are, you know, the produce, you know, of your efforts, if those are good, right, then you're like, okay, I'm a good tree. I'm a good nut. <laughs> but if, if, the, if what you're producing, if the, if the quality of what you're producing is bad, then you're like, gosh, where do I, how did I get this wrong? Like, what am I, how am I misstepping here? And so I feel like that's a really, really potent measuring stick that we can, that we can like line up against both in our own walk and the walks of the people that we know. Bro, I'm lost in that music right now. That is right, straight up cool right there, bro. Uh, You're listen, so funny. So I'm a coin guy. So I believe every every idea, every concept has two sides to it. And the one side that I would say to this is that false teachers are empty. They are not full of Jesus. They They mimic his words. And Jesus said in the last days, or, or, or when they stand before me, some of them will say, well, Lord, what about this and this and this? Well, Jesus said, because you, I don't know you. And what, what he meant by that is I don't know you experientially, nor do you know me. You just know about my family business and you want to participate and get the, get the, the, the profit off of it. So here with this false teaching thing, it's a two-sided coin and exactly like pastor could not have said it any better is that it's like what pastor said Sunday. It's like I gathered in my mind. This was this picture. It was the picture of false empty teachers who used the words of Jesus, but they meant nothing to them. They just used them to further gain or to be popular or to twist, contort and uh, uh, manipulate people. But the people that were listening there's also a responsibility on their part. And I don't always think in, in the passage that pastor was talking about, it was people in the church. Those people knew the truth. Truth is the, it's the, the te litmus test for false teaching. If I know what the scripture says, 
and that's my duty, then I will be able to know a false prophet. And when I know that, exactly what I love the way Pastor said it, is that you got empty people saying sweet things without any challenge or any any fronting up on somebody with the truth. Jesus did that well. False teachers don't do that because they don't want to offend people. And their primary audience, and I was thinking while Pastor said this, the primary audience of a false teacher are, if they're people in the church, they're people who are not committed to Jesus and they just want to hear things that make them feel good. Mm-hmm. So false teachers tell them, and then false teachers manipulate those same people and get from them what they want. Both will will be judged. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like you can't, you can't be a teacher, you can't be in the truth if you never confront, right? Or if you never, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you've got to, you have to confront, you have to make it uncomfortable sometimes. Like, you have to, hang on. I feel like I'm a false teacher if I, if I only teach love and that love doesn't include me saying, bro, you have to fix this. Like this is probably keeping you from a fruitful life, from a full life, from maybe even salvation. Like I feel like I can't truly love unless I'm doing that. I, I feel like Sean spoke about that a, a couple of weeks ago. Was it last week? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Where he talked about how it would be like if you go to see a family friend about a cancer diagnosis and because they don't want to offend you, they're not going to tell you the truth about your cancer. Well, I feel like... If truth is the thing, then you're still going to tell people the bad news. Like, I don't feel like it's my job to come up to Johnny, I don't know, right? And I don't know that guy. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're totally sinning and going to hell. You better straighten up and fly right. I don't know that that's my thing, but I know for sure that the people who are entrusted in my flock, the people who are entrusted as my friends, the people that are gifts to me, those people for sure, if there's a thing that I... I, I might need to confront them in love and in the spirit to say, hey, there's this thing. So when we talk about Jesus being inclusive and how it's still an exclusive club, that's that's that transition between inclusivity and exclusivity. Well, let's be clear. First off, you're not a false teacher. I think sometimes we grow from the things that we say, and I think we get imbalanced in the Holy Spirit within us as as shepherds, under shepherds, the Holy Spirit within us corrects us if we're in touch with him. If we're not, then there's the road away from truth yeah. and becoming a false teacher. However, that's not you. Secondly, I think as we say and experience and grow and the Spirit of God teaches us and tells us as we are in his word and understand his word, then our message changes. Now, I don't think, I, I think what you said about walking up to somebody and saying, hey, bro, you, you, you know, you're going to help. Well, first off, that's not what Jesus did. Never. Except with the Pharisees. Right. All right? Those were religious people that Jesus loved and died for, but he didn't tolerate their stuff. Right. Like he was up in their grill. For sure. But if it's the average Joe, like the woman at the well or the crippled guy at the pond or or, or wherever, and, and the people in the streets that pushed up, Jesus was available, and he first loved them. Yep, served them. He served them. He loved them. He made himself available to give of himself, which was full of the Father. 
a false teacher will never do that. So back to your point, I think that we, we have to understand that our relationship with Jesus is a moment-by-moment thing. Therefore, that being said, as we understand, we understand that Jesus loved, and we understand that Jesus invited people to come alongside. And I think when we do that and we first build relationship with people, we get to that point in relationship. Like, I'm, I'm going to connect with a guy this week where, where, where I've been listening and loving, and, but I'm at the point with him where I have to say, bro, what is you, your spiritual walk? Where, where, where's your relationship with Jesus? Mm. I've built up to that. Now, the other side of that is that we hear all the time people out in the world or people, Christians, who say they don't want to be judged or, oh, you can't judge. Well, listen, bro, we judge every day, so shut that down. Mm. We judge every day. Jesus said you'll know a tree by, by their fruit. Well, when I'm assessing that, am I judging that? Yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm adjudicating the truth of what's happening here. I'm not casting judgment. I'm not deciding if somebody's going to hell. I'm simply saying that dude's got some fruit. Yeah. Or that dude's got some horrible fruit. Yeah, that's good. Deep down on the inside, the fact is, if they're speaking contrary to the scriptures, they're speaking against God. They're enemies to his mission and his message. Their message sounds good. I mean, good enough to get them in the coveted Oprah book club. But you can never do better than the scriptures. I mean, I mean, it may not be as scintillating. It may not sound as alluring or attractive. It, it may not have a, have a relevant ring to it if you only read it in the two-dimensional approach. But the things that'll keep you strong, the things that'll keep you grounded, anchored in difficult times are the things that are written in the Word of God. It tells you itself that it'll never return void. So remember, remember God's Word. It's the first step. The second, remain in God's love. And he even spells out how to do it. He gives three participles. Build yourself up, pray in the Holy Spirit, and wait anxiously for the mercy of Jesus. So how do I do that? How do I remain in God's love? I build myself up in my faith, which by the way, I have to do for me and you have to do for you. No one can do that for you. No one can make penance for you. No one can pray you in after the fact. You are responsible for your repentance. The great apostle Paul said you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and just for clarity's sake, if your only building up takes place in a church service, you're not really being built up. You're just being encouraged or entertained. You have to build yourself up in your faith. Read your Bible, worship, meditate on God. And Jude says, pray in the Spirit, which, which doesn't just mean praying in tongues. It means sometimes silently sitting in God's presence without an agenda or a wish list and asking Him what you should pray for about. Yeah, I know that was a really long clip, but there is so much in there. There's so much in there. I, I, 
I feel like the, and not the smallest part, is this part about how we're responsible for our own faith. And that might seem like a, you know, I don't know, clear or obvious or duh, but I feel like too many people think that that they're made holy by the holiness of their priests or the holiness of their pastors or the 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 sanctimoniousness of their participation in a mass or a service or a, you know whatever like they think that somehow like that's what it's all about and it's actually it's nothing about <laughs> it's it's nothing about that that um that we're responsible for our own thing that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling and that's a big deal. It's a big deal because I, I don't want to take other people's word for it. I need mm. to figure it out for myself. And if I'm just going to take someone else's word for it, it's not even my faith. I'm just taking it secondhand from somebody else. And that's a joke, right? Like I'm just, yeah, whatever that guy said. I believe what that guy says. That guy's got it. He understands. He's smarter than me. He's better than me. He's purer than me. He's holier than me. I don't know. Whatever you're going to say, like, I'll just take that guy's word for it. Well, that's not your faith, bro. That's, that's that guy's faith. And you got to find your own. You got to find your own. You can't just do the things that that guy says you should do or do the things that he does. Like you've got to find that on your own. And that's a big deal because when I think of like, I just posted this the other day. Nope. I just posted that this morning on the Facebook. If we're not friends on the Facebook, Hey, let's be friends on Facebook. But I just posted this on Facebook that Jesus came and flattened the hierarchy of our faith that he like took out all the middle management, right? All the, all the tree of it and, and the, you know, bar graphs and everything else and then diagrams and said, it's us, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and them, all of us. It's, that's it. It's just a direct line. There's no middleman. There's no, you know, somebody running interference in the middle. There's no one that we have to go to first. There's no chain of command if you're a military person that you have mm -hmm. to go through to get to God. It's just us and God. Mm -hmm. In fact, it says in first Peter that we are the Royal priesthood, mm -hmm. a holy nation that mm -hmm. we are in fully empowered to be priests, right? That we don't need priests anymore, but I don't know. Someone we get into the stuck in our head that someone's better than us or holier than us, or God loves them more. And that's how we're, or that's where we'll find our faith. Uh, well, You've hit a, a couple of good things, too, out of what Pastor said, and there, there's a handful just in that small clip. I think, I think one of the things in our culture, Scott, is we don't want to take responsibility for our own self. So we listen to other people without doing study, and if it sounds good, we do it. That's the whole, mm. that's the whole itching ears thing. In scripture, yeah. Let's just, whatever sounds good and makes me feel good, like I'm okay, I'm going to listen to that. It's the same way with us. Even Pastor Sean says, "Look at it, study it. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some ideas here and some guidance in this message. You have to take this and be responsible for it, and you have to learn this, like." When we don't take responsibility for knowing the truth of Jesus, then it's on us. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things in John, Jesus said. So we, as a, as a Jesus person, one who has chosen to follow Jesus and prayed and confessed their sins and now chooses to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is actually their teacher. Yeah. And he will say, no, that's false. No, that's wrong. 
And if you consistently hear this this diatribe, this diet, because false teachers are manipulators, they act nice and they're sweet, but they really are wicked and grumblers and complainers. They won't think for that's not ex- at all what Jesus did. Just the opposite. I'm my I'm my father's son. My father sent me to you. Won't you join us? Yeah. Invitation. And I think in this whole process of of being responsible, it's actually fun to get to know Jesus and to learn. I had a person that worked in a bank years ago that told me this, and I, I know it's not this way now, but they said that when we are first trained to be a teller, we're never shown counterfeit bills. We're only shown actual, true bills. So that when we see something that's counterfeit, we know because we've seen the truth. Mm. So until we see the truth and understand the truth, then we're going to be subject to that. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, when I think about... I wear this bracelet from the 1990s. Mm. And uh, sometimes it can be a cliche. I get it. But like the more I live according to living the way that I feel like Jesus lived, the closer I am to joy and fulfillment. Right? So like I think about it all the time. But in this conversation, I think about it like Jesus was always quoting scripture, always Mm -hmm. quoting scripture. And like he wasn't quoting it because he wrote the book and just wanted everyone to know, like, hey, and then this one time I wrote this one thing and it was really great. <laughs> he he knew that they were that they were um they were tenants of our life. Certainly in of our faith, but even just of our life, how to live. Like these were like truths, you know? And like to not read your Bible is like I, I know that I have the answer key. Like I know this seems like a cliche again, but like I have the answer key, but I'm not gonna bother looking at it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother looking to how I should be living my life. These are the answers, like the answers, everything, everything that came after that is extra, extra. Some stuff's good. Some stuff's bad, but like, why not just go and get it yourself? Why not just read it yourself? I, I mean, like, I mean to tell you that Matthew five, six, and seven is, um, Jesus's sermon on the Mount. It begins with the blessed are these because they get that and blessed are these other things because they get this other thing. And like, that's hard to read sometimes, but the stuff that comes after that line by line by line is how to live your life, how to Mm -hmm. be a good Mm -hmm. person, Mm -hmm. how to love. Yep. And so like, why would I not just memorize Matthew five, six, and seven? And for that matter, just about every other point where I find encouragement from the truth, not from somebody that read it and is going to tell me what he thinks it means. Like, I'm going to find it for myself. That's Mm. working out our faith. That's working out our salvation. And that's what we're called to do. Mm. So three hours later, uh, we got to the top. I don't think it was worth it, actually. It was... It was okay. I got seen. I, I've seen that from buildings before, right? Like I've I've been, I've I've been on the peak in Hong Kong, and you can see the whole city, and they have a train that goes up to that. And so you know, whatever. But Sunny was happy. But what I took out of that was this idea that the people could see me struggling, 
in my hike. They could see me struggling at something that they had already done and they had compassion on me and encouraged me. And as I read this, I was caught up with the command to have mercy on some who are doubting. And it's interesting what it will do in you when you have mercy rather than malice. I joke a lot how uh, my sons are copy and pastes of me. I know for sure my son Abe is, and so is my son Jared. But like, I'm living with Abe right now. He's 12. This morning he had a rough morning. He tried to start off right, like he, you know, got up by himself, took a shower, was all set to go. And then like, it kind of all went downhill really quick for him. Like he couldn't find this thing. Then he was trying to find something and stubbed his toe on the couch. And like, it really hurt. And like, all this stuff just happened. And I know what it's like for me when that happens. When I, um, when a bunch of frustration happens all at once, then I'm like, all right, the whole day is shot. The whole day is shot. Screw this whole day. Like, that's what I'll do, you know? And so we were driving to school and I was like, hey, buddy, I, I know that you could go through these four or five things that just where you couldn't find this and you were looking for that and you stubbed your toe and your mom yelled at you and all this other stuff. And you could look at that and say, my day is shot. But like the whole day is still in front of you. Like you can still move forward from there. I said, I know this because that's how I work. And so, but it reminds me of when Simba was talking to Rafiki, you know, in The Lion King and they're talking and then, Rafiki hits Simba on the head with his cane and Simba's like, what's that for? And Rafiki's like, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. You just got to move forward from here. And so I was encouraging my son that you just got to move forward from here. It doesn't matter what happened with your toe or your mom or your books or your computer or your lunch or anything else. Just move forward from here. I tell you that story because I feel like that's what Sean's talking about here. Like we can't look at people going through something that we've gone through or that we have experience with and just let them rot. Like just say, oh, good luck with that. I know what that's like, sucker. Like I feel like that's not what we're called to do. That's not compassion. That's not empathy. That's not caring, you know? That's not mercy. You know, that's just, I don't know, selfishness. And I, it reminds me of like a, a meme that that's going around. Like um, I think even, I, th I think Toby Mac just had it where he was like, Consider the things that you've gone through as experience that you can use to help someone get through it themselves. That that'll be their guidebook. Your struggles could be someone, the next person's guidebook. And like, I love that. I love that. And so when I think about my walk and I think about the stuff that I had to figure out in my walk, like what kind of jerk would not share that with somebody else? What kind of jerk would not show someone the way, show them the line? That's a golfing thing, I think. Like when you putt, right? True. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Anyway. It's like, what kind of jerk doesn't show someone the line? Here's the line. Here's the way. And I feel like that's exactly, you know, what Sean was talking about or what Sean experienced on the mountaintop. I think. Yeah, I think. Well, one thing I would have, I would have loved to have. I would have loved to have seen him going up that trail. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely My God. true. Yeah. If you don't know Sean, Sean's, uh, Irish and he's uh, red and fair skinned. And so the sun is heck on him. So he's got this big old hat that he wears and like this super thick sunscreen, <laughs> sunscreen and like this, these glasses. And he just, uh, don't tell him I said this, but he just looks really funny. And yeah. uh, so I can just imagine him with a backpack and his hiking shoes on and his crew socks and like mm. everything else and honey. Yeah. And it's honey. I called her. I meant to call her Sunny. 
but Sonny's ahead of him. You know what I mean? Just kind of prancing up and the yeah, she, she's going, yo, hey, <laughs> yo, man, step it up. Let's go. Bring it on, baby. So about this thing, uh, when you were talking and, and you played the, the slot, the clip there, I was thinking about Jesus and the rich young ruler. Mm. Yeah. Like people, I've yet to meet a person in my life who does not have some sort of an indicator that they're searching for God. Mm. I've yet to meet one. What does that look like? There are people, most people, who have an idea of what they want, but they're unsure how to get it. Mm. There's another group of people that are doing very well at getting what they want, but they're losing their life in the meantime. And then there's, there's a handful of people who, you know, they've got it together. They're doing well. And then there's just people who are off the track and off the rail. It doesn't, my point is, it doesn't matter which spectrum. David said in Psalm that even, even the creation of the heavens was witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father in heaven. So there's this innate part of our DNA whereby we cry out our our souls cry out for God because, because we're designed in his image. What that looks like, Scott, is that when we listen to people, not to respond, but to respect and to hear, I think the Lord points out to us things that we can be kind about and loving about and encouraging about. And we don't always have to be pushing the Jesus thing because Jesus flows out of us. It, it, the false teachers just didn't tell the truth. But if we're truthful and we're loving and we're kind like Jesus was, it doesn't mean that we're a doormat or we get run over. But It just means that there is something in us that's looking for that something in them that connect and, and in us we recognize that's their need for Jesus. Yeah. It may be food. It may be somebody that can't pay their bills. It may be that this person's ill or this person's marriage is wrecked. But when we're tuned in like Jesus was, and we can be, I truly believe, then we begin to notice those things and then we're drawn to those things. We want to, Bro, we want to be a part of that, and we want to help them. The rich young ruler had predetermined what course he would accept. Right. He wanted to be approved. He wanted to receive Jesus' approval for what he had done and how he had done it and the fruits of his labor to keep and keep going and doing as he did. Matthew says, to follow Jesus, I have to first take up my cross and to follow him. And the, the literal translation is moment by moment. Yeah. So anything that's in my life that distracts me, I'm not going to be able to follow. I feel like the rich, the rich young ruler 
meaning he's probably good at business, right? Probably good at negotiation, probably good at buying and selling things, right? You'd have to make that assumption. Like he had a thing. He had a, he had a, a number in his head of what he'd be willing to part with in order to follow Jesus or in order to get access to the kingdom of God. Like he had a number in his head. And so when Jesus said, uh, that number is all the things. <laughs> you have to give up all the things. He's like, oh, nope, that's not the number I have in my head. <laughs> that's not the, and I think we do that sometimes. We've got a thing that we've got in our head, like a number that we have in our head to say, I'm willing to go up to and including this. Anything beyond that, I'm not willing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and that could be money, but it could be how you spend your time or what you like to focus on or, I don't know, what habits or hobbies you have. And you're like, I'm going to do everything. I will be willing to give up anything and everything up to this, but anything after that is not me. And, um, you know, I had mentioned uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And and in fact, in in Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about worry and trying to get stuff. You had talked about Maseratis and gold faucets and whatnot. And so sometimes we get... Not that we need those things, but sometimes we can convince ourselves that we need those things or we're entitled to those things or you deserve those things. Like, I deserve a Maserati. Are you kidding me? Or I deserve a Tesla or I deserve a whatever, right? Like, I deserve that. And so, we, we'll, you know, we have that. And then we'll, like, not that those things are bad. Like, there's plenty of good people that have Teslas, I'm sure, mm-hmm. or whatever. So I'm not saying that they're bad, but if they become the thing that we're focused on, if that's part of the stuff that we're not going to go above and beyond this point, if it includes me giving up my pursuit of a Tesla that I'm not interested, then that's the problem. But then in this Matthew part, in chapter six, he says, like, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, what you're going to drive, where you're going to live. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Instead, he says, be concerned above everything else with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you. And he will provide you with all these other things. So, this is the seek ye first verse, like in the more traditional Bibles, like seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Like that's what they're saying. Like, hey, because what I find is that in my life, the things that I thought I was wanting or striving for or trying to obtain, those that list of things has changed. And you talked about it because like the desire to help or be there for someone, that gives me way more satisfaction than anything else I could have mm-hmm. ever bought or mm-hmm. anything else I could have ever financed mm-hmm. or achieved is 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 being that for somebody else. You know, where where we get, and you, I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you just like totally pegged a huge theological response to some people. We get, we, we, first of all, Christians get so distracted in the minutia of the silliness or the surface is, is what I always say. And, and here's what I mean. It's not about the material stuff. It's not about the money or lack of. It's not about the girl or the guy or the place, the house, or the, the geographical location we want to go to or where we think we want to, we aspire to be. It's exactly what you just said, and I'm going to steal this, and I'm going to, I'm going to write a chapter in my book on this, and it's called Up to This. Mm. Jesus brings us always up to this point, and he says, now, now you've done all this, good for you. You've followed the commandments. You've done well. And you know what? I believe the rich young ruler went to heaven. I just believe he walked away disappointed and continued to do what he did and be successful at it. But I believe that he could have been and done more had he just gone past up to this. Yeah. If he would have just said, look, I'm going to give it up because I trust you. Jesus invited him to If you want to go with me, 
you're, you're up to this point now. What will you give away? Yeah. What will you do to follow me? What, what's the pearl of great? Do you, am, I, am, I more, am I more valuable to you than your stuff? That's why this series shifted from a happy, feel-good intention to a series about truth, as uncomfortable as that truth may be. An erosion has happened, and there needs to be a salvation station that'll save the lost and save the saved, that'll save the lost from their sins, but save the saved from themselves. Because as Jude so passionately reveals, far too many believers have forgotten what the mission of Jesus even is to seek and save the lost. And so I wonder, which do you need to be saved from? Your sins or yourself? That was a strong finish for Sean. It was this really great uh, parable about a life-saving station on a coast and how it was like holistic at one point, how it was just true to its purpose, that they were just there to respond to people who were in trouble. But then more and more people came around and thought, we should really have nice couches here. We should really have, you know, nice paintings on the wall. We should hire a cleaning person so it's always clean. We should get new beds. And then they made the life-saving station so nice that they were like, we probably shouldn't let the actual people that need salvation come in here because they're just going to get it all mucked up. So let's, let's put a shower head in the back of the building. They can shower over there or whatever, right? Like, and... There's some Christians that feel that way. I, I've been in plenty of conversations with fellow Christians that, and this is a, a long-standing debate, and we probably shouldn't try to get it done here, but who feel like the main purpose of church is to uh, equip and encourage believers. And that's just not the call that I feel. I feel like I need to have a safe place where non-believers feel like they can come, that they can be invited and included, but not to stay that way. Like I want them to, to experience so much community and so much love and so much goodness and so much hope that they're like, I want more of this. What does it take to get more of this? I want more of this, you know? And then that's how they get from that. Wide is the path and narrow is the gate. Like that's how they work through that. That's the, that's the process. And so when I think about being saved from my sin or saved from myself, I, and like I, I feel like I don't ever want to get crossed up in that. I don't ever want to, if I'm going to make a mistake, I want to make a mistake in the way of like providing more hope or more Jesus to people, including the Jesus that's confrontational, like we talked about a couple of points ago. Like, I think that's okay, but not before I, I hear someone's burdens and bear someone's burdens and like see them, not before I do that. I, don't, I haven't earned the right to do that. And when I think about Jesus's example of the woman caught in adultery, mm. like he saved mm -hmm. her butt. Yeah. You know, she was straight up going to get stoned. And so for him, like he saved her first. And even then at the end, he still confronts her, you know, and he's like, Hey, you got to quit just living with dudes, man. <laughs> because mm -hmm. You have to stop living that way. So like no one here is going to stone you. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and just don't be that. Don't do that. And I'm sure that wasn't the last time he said, sorry. Like I, I, it would seem weird for Jesus just to like say that and never see her again. So I bet they were still friends afterwards. But like, I just feel like that's, that's the thing. Like I need to, I need to save people that are about to get stoned or feel like they've been stoned 
you know, by church or by believers or by anybody and say, hey, let me help you with that. Let me help you through that. And now that we're through that, now that you're safe, let's talk about how you can get from safe to hopeful, safe to saved, moving from safe to saved. I think one of the one of the interesting things about what Pastor said is is that the church and, and let me just let me just draw it down real real tight here. The church tends to lose its course because it loses focus. Yeah. And Jesus gave the focus right before he left. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple. Yeah. So, funny story, I was... I was I worked in a church years ago. Uh, people in the community called it the country club church because mm. it was all white, middle class. Um, maybe, maybe some non-white people there. Some. And the the pastor, we were in an annual meeting. The pastor said. Uh, Whatever it takes, I want to bring more kids in to the youth ministry. I said, "All right, could you say that again, please?" Whatever you said, whatever it takes. Whoever you mean, like anybody. He said, "Yeah, fill it up." So there were just enough people that that I had the privilege of working with that we loved the kids that we had, but we went went out and found kids that nobody loved. Kids that were kicked out of their home that lived in a park. Kids that, some were criminals, some were in gangs. But what we did, and, and mostly the team that I had privilege to work with, is that we went where they were and begin to be kind and loving. We didn't accept their lifestyle. We didn't join them in agreement with it. But they knew we loved Jesus, and they knew we were here to just be kind and love them. So those kids begin to come to church. And, they, and, and I'll never forget, this little gal walked in one time. And this church had security guards, you know, they talk in their cuff and right, blah, yeah. blah, blah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, any any donuts back there in the break room? <laughs> Man, I'm hungry up here. too many people. So this little gal walked in. I'll never forget it. Like there was a stir in the lobby on Wednesday night. <clears throat> and this gal walked in and she had on this, this, like it was a bra top. I guess it was a sports bra. I don't know. And she had a pair of blue jeans, hip huggers, and they were unbuttoned at the top. Like, apparently it was a style. And her thong was over the waist. 
and and in walks you know before that a couple of kids with the dog collars on and right. and a couple of gang kids and so the security guards are going nuts right so they come back there to to get me where I was in the in the in the auditorium for the kids the students you got to you got to come up here you got to so, <laughs> so I went up there and and I greeted all the kids cuz I knew all the kids you know, hey, Pastor Bray, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, what's up? When we go beyond up to this yeah. that we're comfortable with and go beyond that, then it gets dirty. Yeah. Then you have to change the way you think, look, and believe the Scripture because it's safe to believe it in the country club. It's safe to say, yeah. But when you go out where people are, where the Lord leads and brings those people across your path, and then you go look for them as well. Yep. It gets dirty. Yep. But the 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 switch in the up to this switch is the love and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus. And I will tell you that I and those people that worked with me have been in situations that no no other people would go into in their right mind. But we knew we were called there, and we knew that the Holy Spirit led us there, and he was with us to protect us. Yeah. Here's my point. God will always take us to an uncomfortable place to reach people who need to be reached who are not in our little wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what Pastor was saying. We've got to, you know, quit. For God's sake, quit. <laughs> Bro, come on. Quit protecting your little kingdom here. I love that. Okay, we're out of time. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Chewing That. Uh, we'd love it if you would um, rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform or share it on social media with any one of your thousands of friends that you've got. And we'd love for more and more people to uh, to know what we're doing here and um, to benefit um, from these words. And so if you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you did that. There's a bunch of other great podcasts that are happening uh, from Life Church that you love as well, including Father Seekers, as Barry had mentioned, Pastor and Rabbi Walking to a Bar, Cheery oh, Conversations, Pastor Rabbi. Yeah, so good. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of great content for you. Keep <clears throat> working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make it a thing. Make it your project. Go for that. It's above everything else, and then everything else will be added unto you. My name is Scott. That was Barry. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>